You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. I'm even careful to call it a story, lest some assume that it's a fictional story. That's why, as I mentioned on Sunday, I never refer to men and women in the Bible as Bible characters because that lends itself to it being this fictitious cartoon character. No, these, these were real men. These were real women. And this story of Joseph is a real story. It really happened exactly the way that we're told. Character, story, once upon a time, these words are commonly used as descriptors whenever a work of fiction is either being crafted or told. As Pastor J.D. suggests in his message today, we as believers would do well to refrain from such words when referring to God's Word. In his study, you'll learn the importance of referencing Scripture as history rather than a mere story. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 105 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1, there's no title. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, verse 2, sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory, verse 3, in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Don't just seek the Lord, seek His strength, especially in those times that you find yourself weak. I think of what the Apostle Paul said, that when he's weak, that's when he's strong, so much so that He actually boasts in his weakness because that's the time that he realizes and has the strength of the Lord. You know, on Sunday mornings we're in Philippians chapter 4, the last chapter of the epistle. And uh, this Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9. But verse 13 is a coming. Uh, You know what verse 13, Philippians 4 says, a life verse for many. I can do all things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. So seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Remember, verse 5, His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. And we're actually in this psalm going to have a recounting of the account of so many things that God did for His people. The miraculous works, the wondrous works, as the psalmist says in verse 2. Verse 6, O seed of Abraham, His servant, you children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word which He commanded 
for a thousand generations the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. And verse 10, confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When, verse 12, they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes. I was thinking about verse 14 on the way here today. This is what I love about God and His Word. He permitted no one to do them wrong. You know what Jeremiah 29 11 says? That God is not going to allow any harm to come our way. That He has a future for us, not to harm or hurt. He has a future for us to bless us, to prosper us, and to give us a hope. I imagine this in the heavenly realm as God having His heavenly hosts encamped around about His people as a guard, as a guard to, to be on guard, to be on watch, lest anything or anyone should ever threaten one of His own. Think about how we are as earthly parents and how protective we are of our children. I was thinking about with my daughter, especially when she was younger, and she would come home from school and tell me about this kid that was mean to her. Oh really? What's their name? <laughs> Where do they live? <laughs> You're my daughter. You belong to me. Nobody hurts you. Nobody harms you. No harm will come to you. I will permit no one to harm you, to do you wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes. And it gets more specific, verse 15, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Moreover, verse 16, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. What's the psalmist trying to say here in this psalm, especially concerning Joseph, whom we know well. By the way, many of the things that we're going to be looking at here in Psalm 105 and even Psalm 106 after it are many of the things that we've been studying throughout the Old Testament. We started many years ago in the book of Genesis, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, made our way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 
Ruth, what a book Ruth was. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Job. Remember Job? I think we're still recovering from Job. <laughs> and now the Psalms. But in the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we have the account of all that had happened, all the wondrous works of God. And to me, one of the most wondrous works of God is what he did in the life of Joseph. I mean by any stretch of the imagination, in every sense of the word, it was one miracle after another. And for 17 very, very long years, from the time that God first gave Joseph that dream, that one day he would be ruler over all, even his own family. And then when he went to share it with his brothers, and even his father, he was rebuked. Well, rebuked by his father, his brothers, oh, they hated him. Oh, they were so jealous of him. Who do you think you are? Here's a younger brother, this young brother Joseph. I think of like David, the youngest of all his brothers, and how he was despised, particularly by his older brother, the oldest son of Jesse, Eliab. There was such resentment, such jealousy, such bitterness from his brothers, who eventually sold him into slavery. And one would think that this dream that Joseph had, well, yeah, that's just what it was. It was a dream. Now he finds himself sitting at the bottom of a pit. The text, the account, the narrative is really quite graphic, quite disturbing actually. We're told that Joseph was wailing and crying bitterly when his brothers sold him into slavery and left him for dead in the bottom of that pit. And he was screaming and wailing and crying, and what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Well, but God. <laughs> He's then taken into Egypt, as the psalmist recounts. And you would think that now things have maybe made a turnaround, and he's doing well, and he starts to rise up, and then he's betrayed, falsely accused of attempted rape, and then thrown into this dungeon. Now you have to understand that the dungeons of that time were nothing like the prisons of today. They were left there to die. But here's the thing. <laughs> There's these two guys there in the prison with Joseph, and they both have a dream. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And he tells the one who is going to be raised up again on the third day. Amazing typology, by the way. We actually, when we were in Genesis, did a study of how Joseph is a type of Christ. There's actually over 100 of these typologies, if you will. You have the baker and the butler, as they're affectionately referred to, a type of the two criminals that were both crucified with Jesus on the cross. One perished, the other was saved. That's just one of many of the types that we have in the story, of true story of Joseph. I'm even careful to call it a story, lest some assume that it's a fictional story. That's why, as I mentioned on Sunday, I never refer to men 
and women in the Bible as Bible characters, because that lends itself to it being this fictitious cartoon character. No, these, these were real men. These were real women. And this story of Joseph is a real story. It really happened exactly the way that we're told. One quick one parenthetically that I love because it speaks to the pre-tribulation rapture. So Joseph, we're told, takes a Gentile bride pre-seven-year famine. And that bride is a picture of the bride of Jesus Christ. Because once the seven-year famine hits, she's never mentioned again. Just like the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation during chapters 6 through 19, which are all about the seven-year tribulation. Anyway, again, there's over a hundred types that Joseph is and pictures as the person of Jesus Christ. He was betrayed by Judah, interestingly, for pieces of silver, just like Jesus was betrayed by Judas for pieces of silver. So the psalmist is recounting this wondrous work of God in the life of Joseph concerning the people of God. So he's sold into slavery, he's cast into prison, he interprets these dreams, and then the uh, send for him, finally, after like two more years, when he's forgotten. And then Pharaoh has a dream, very interesting dream by the way, about seven very fat cows and seven very thin cows. And he's so disturbed by this dream, and he doesn't know what to do. And the butler says, hey, uh, Pharaoh, by the way, you know, I just remembered, there's this guy that I met when I was in prison, and he interpreted my dream. He has this gift to be able to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh says, what are you waiting for? <laughs> get, get him to interpret my dream. And so what's the interpret, interpretation of the dream? Okay, Pharaoh, these uh, seven fat cows, there's also the sheaves of grain. Uh, the, these fat cows are a uh, picture of the seven years of plenty that Egypt will have. But then your dream was followed by seven very thin cows. And after the seven years of plenty, there is going to be a great famine for seven more years. So here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to stock up during the seven fat years, so you have plenty during the seven years of famine. To which Pharaoh responds, you're hired. And he elevates and exalts Joseph to the most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh, and it is for the salvation of many. Genesis 50, 20, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, when Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers who are terrified, and he knows who they are, they don't recognize him. And then he says to them, it's me, you guys. And they think, that's it, we're done. This is how it ends. All he has to do, they know, all he has to do is snap his fingers and it's off with our heads. And Joseph calms them and says, no, no, no. 
What you meant was for evil, but God, I love those two words, I love those two words, they change everything. But God meant it for good for the salvation of many this day. What's the point? This is what the psalmist is saying. These are the wondrous works of God that we are to talk about often. We are to talk about them. I'll never forget, a number of years ago, it's actually right after we got this building done. And I was just talking to my son Levi and sharing with him about how God just did the impossible. Because I mean, this building is in every sense of the word, a miracle. And I was really struck when he said to me, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me that. That really increases my faith. And I, and I, I, I was convicted. I sort of had to repent. It was kind of like, oh Lord, I, I need to talk more about all the wondrous works that you've done in my life. And there are many over the years. There's a Psalm 105 in every single one of our lives. Every single one of us has a Psalm 105 that starts with that beginning of what God did and all through the journey of our Christian lives, all the wondrous works that God has done. We need to talk of them often. We need to proclaim all the wondrous works of the Lord. It edifies people. It builds their faith. It encourages them. It's a reminder for them of the goodness of God. And Joseph, again, to me is, for lack of a better way of saying it, he's like this poster child. I mean, who could have known? You know, we say, who knew? Well, God knew. God knew what He was doing from the very beginning, even when before Joseph was formed in his mother's womb. God knew exactly what He was going to do, how He was going to do it, when He was going to do it, and the way He was going to do it, and it was going to be for His glory in the end, as only He can. There's no way. This is not coincidence. I, I was thinking about the book of Esther, which we've also studied through. What an amazing story. Again, true story, real story, real people how God just orchestrated all of the circumstances, choreographed all of the steps, the wondrous works of God, and what was meant for evil at the hands of Haman, God meant for good, for the salvation of His people, in a way that only God can. I mean, who knew that Queen Vashti would have in her heart to diss the king, and refused to come when invited. This is unthinkable. And so now he's going to lose face with all of his men who are saying to him, uh, King, if you're going to let your wife get away with this, when we go home to our wives, it's not going to be fun. <laughs> you need to do something about this. So he removes her as queen, banishes her, and now the king, you'll forgive me for saying it this way, is in the market for a new queen. Enter Esther. Who knew? God knew. And she's a Jew. <laughs> Who knew? Right? God knew. Perfect. God is choreographing every step, every step of the way. And then here's this Haman who has in his heart to exterminate 
all of the Hebrews. This is demonic possession, literally, I believe. He was demon possessed. To have the king issue this irreversible edict, to have all of the Hebrews destroyed and killed. And so here's Esther and her uncle, some think cousin, Mordechai. And Mordechai says to her, how do you know that you weren't raised up for such a time as this? And don't think for a second, Esther, that if you don't do this, you don't go to the king uninvited, risking your own life facing death, which is exactly what would happen if anybody approached the king without the king inviting them and not putting out the scepter when they entered. It was again off with their head, and she knew it. And those, those famous words, <laughs> she says, you know what, if I perish, I perish. Wow. In other words, I'm going to do this. Mordecai says to her, if you don't, then deliverance will come from another. In other words, God's going to deliver His people, with or without you. And if you refuse to do it, by the way, you won't be spared. But God, if you don't do this, He'll find someone that will. Deliverance will come from another. So they fast, they pray, and she enters uninvited, and the king hands out his scepter. And it's so amazing. I had no intention of going this far into Esther. I, I happen to really like the book of Esther. But it was really amazing to me when we were studying through it, how much can happen in one night. So Esther, the king says, Esther, my queen, what do you want up to half of my kingdom? And she's like, God put it on her heart. I want you to, with Haman, come to a banquet that I will prepare for you. So here's Haman going, oh man. <laughs> I mean, he's so full of himself. He thinks it's about him. He has no idea what's going on. So that night before the banquet, the king cannot sleep. God would not let him sleep. And so he's suffering from this divine insomnia, if I can call it that. And he says to his men, hey, go get me those boring annals of the history of the kingdom. This was on the second night when she said, I want you to come back for a second banquet. This is what happened that night. He couldn't sleep. They bring him the annals. And you have to understand that when his men went to pick a really boring record of the history, because if you just read that to me, that will for sure put me to sleep. So they happened to, what a coincidence, right? They happened to grab the exact one that had the record of when Mordecai saved the life of the king from a conspiracy to assassinate him. There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms, and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving Creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. 
You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.